welcome uh, this morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. You can open up in your Bibles to the book of First Peter, the little letter after the book of James in the New Testament. And we are in a series, we started a series last week called Hope for Exiles. Uh, and it, we are getting to dive in uh, today to the, the, really the meat of the book. We read it last week, which is just wonderful. It's wonderful to uh, devote ourselves to the public reading of scripture. There's something powerful about that. Uh, and today we get to dive in um, to the book itself. Uh, 2020 has been a, an interesting year. <laughs> Maybe that's an understatement. A lot has happened. The global pandemic, a cultural and political upheaval, uncertainty, unemployment, uh, protests, riots, fears, tragedy. Um, the, the only thing that's been really great about 2020 so far is the memes. The memes have been awesome, right? But that's about it. That's about it. That's all that's been, uh, been great. Coronavirus has, has brought death to the front of many of our minds. We push, like to push death away, uh, but many, so many have died from this, this virus um, that we have to think about it. The, the protests and the riots sparked by the death of George Floyd have revealed deep racial tension in our, in our society uh, and division, and, and they continue across the country. Uh, contentious presidential election is upon us. Um, due to, to digital technology, uh, world events are immediately broadcast for everyone to see and to respond to. The speed of change seems to be one of the main differences in the past, right? We've had in our history uh, times of cultural upheaval, times of rising political tension, uh, but we've never had things changing this fast. We've never had things changing this quickly. And it's left many of us thinking, what, what's next, right? How do we cope with this uncertainty? Peter, uh, who wrote this letter, also lived in uncertain times. Right? And I'm not trying to say that P the, the first century Roman world was the same as our time, of course. But I think it's important to remember uh, that Peter's situation and that of the Christians that he's writing to. Peter doesn't write this letter from an ivory tower, right? Like, like we talked about last week, he writes this from Rome, right? Rome of the gladiatorial games, Rome of mass crucifixion. In Jerusalem, when he was there, leading the church there, he saw James, fellow apostle, uh, imprisoned and, and killed. And he himself had been imprisoned. And if it wasn't for the divine intervention, the angel showing up, releasing him, he would have also uh, been, been executed, certainly. Peter didn't just live under the daily threat of death. Um, he actually knew that he would die a martyr's death, right? In, in John uh, 21, Jesus tells him the kind of death he's gonna die. And so he knows it's coming. And he's writing to Christians who live in a culture that's hostile to the gospel, hostile to Christianity all over the Roman world. Um, he even says in chapter four, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal when it comes on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's like, this is just, it's normal. Why would you be surprised about that? Expect it. So what will Peter begin to say to these Christians living in, in trying and uncertain times? And what does he have to say to us and now in our time living now? Uh, if you're able, let's stand in honor of reading God's word and we'll read the, the passage today. Um, it's a short one. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Pray with me. Father, would you please come and would you open your word to us? Um, would you speak to us as we need, as we need it? Lord, we, we need to hear your voice more than ever now. We need to hear your, uh, your commands, your encouragement, your rebuke. We need, we need to hear from you. And so I pray that you would speak to us by your word and through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. You can be seated. The first thing out of Peter's pen uh, after the, the introduction is worship, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this whole section, verses three through 12, actually this, this whole kind of uh, first half of the first uh, chapter is one long sentence in Greek. And each phrase points back to this first phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every phrase is a reason that we should bless our God. It's, it's easy to read over phrases like this that kind of sound, you know, bible and just without recognizing their meaning. But Peter's not just filling space here. Um, he, he is praising God in a, in a traditional Jewish way, right? This, this phrase echoes many, many, many verses in the Old Testament. You probably recognize from the Psalms, the, the verses, bless the Lord, oh my soul, right? There's so many verses that, that, that uh, bless and praise God in this way. Uh, but, but he's doing it with a new twist, he calls God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which no one in the Old Testament ever did because Christ had not come, of course. Um, so he's worshiping the same God in the same way as his ancestors with an addition that Jesus Christ, his friend and rabbi, the one he saw die and rise from the dead, is in fact the Lord. And, and Peter is saying to his original hearers and he's saying to us in our uncertain times, it's time to worship. It's time to worship. Why is it time to worship? Three things today. It's time to worship. One, we're gonna see what God gives. Two, we're gonna see what God keeps. And three, we're gonna see what God guards. What he gives, what he keeps, and what he guards. And these will lead us, I think, to worship uh, to worship anew today. There's some passages as a preacher that are tough eggs to crack. You know, there's some that you come to and you go, I, whew, what, is this, what does this mean? My God, what are you saying here? Um, but the, and, and there are some of those passages in this book, tough eggs to crack. This is not one of those passages. <laughs> this is like an egg that's just like glowing and trembling with glory. And it's just like, if you just crack it a tiny bit, it's just going to explode all over everyone. And I hope that's what happens today. Um, I, I hope that, that we can open God's word and that he will just shine his glory and his light on us. Um, and, and I pray, God, just give me grace for that. Number one, what God gives. What God gives. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, the ESV translation says, it says he has 
caused us to be born again. Um, this says he has given us new birth. Peter's emphasizing here the graceness, right? The undeserved favor and action of God that he is granting on his own initiative, right? Who, who is, who's the actor in this verse? He has given us new birth. God, God is acting. What are we doing in this verse? Nothing, right? If this verse was, he has given us a diploma, then maybe we could infer, oh, we had to do something, right? We had to do something for this. Uh, you know, like you have to go to school and earn a diploma. But, but this doesn't say he's given us a diploma. It says he's given us new birth. Uh, what we're doing here is being newborns. Right? Uh, and, and newborns, and I, I'm sort of an expert on newborns. I've seen several of them uh, come out. It, it, they come out whether they want to or not. Right? They really don't have a choice in the matter. Right? They come kicking and screaming most often, and, and maybe we do too. Uh, but we're born again. We have real spiritual life, a new life, as different from our old life as a living person is different from a corpse in the grave. We're born again. And this gift, this new birth is, as the verse says, into a living hope. Into a living hope. What does that mean? Well, a dead hope, right? The opposite of that would be one that, that has no legs. One that can't deliver on its promises. A one that's futile and vain. I wonder um, if I can ask us some questions this morning. What, what are you hoping for right now? What, what, are, what are your expectations? What are you hoping happens? What, what thing will happen that will make, will make it finally all right? Is it that the kids will go back to school? Like, hallelujah, please, Lord. Right? Is it that the economy will recover? You'll find a job. Is it that you're, you're gonna find a spouse, maybe? You're gonna have kids. You're gonna have a certain type of family. Is it that our, our nation will, will get back to how it used to be? Is it that you're gonna finally eat healthy and exercise and get in shape? Is it that, that Joe Biden or that Donald Trump will win the presidential election coming in November? As good and as desirable as some of these things are, they're, they are dead hopes if we bet all of our well-being on them. They're dead hopes. Because if they happen, they won't deliver on the promise to make everything okay, right? There will be new problems, and so there will be new things that we will have to hope for. And if they don't happen, if, if they don't happen, and you've invested all your hope in them, you'll be devastated, be devastated. If all your money is in a fund and it goes down the drain, you're, you're toast, right? If all your hope is somewhere and it goes down the drain, you're toast, you're devastated. These are dead hopes. But that is not our hope as Christians. Our hope, the Christian hope, is alive. Meaning it's gonna happen and it's gonna deliver on its promise. Why? How do we know? Because it says he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Our hope is living because our Savior lives. We bet it all on him, right? We bet it all on him. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Our hope is in capable hands, the hands of the Alpha and the Omega, the one who died and is alive forevermore, who holds the keys of death and hell. As long as blood flows through the veins of that Galilean carpenter, our hope is alive. We have a living hope. Why did he do this? Why did he give us this gift of being of a living hope? Look at what it says. Look at verse three. Because of his great mercy. Because of his great mercy. We are, we are rather fond of ourselves and we like to think um, that, that we are basically good and that we deserve God's love. Um, but the Bible is relentless in asserting it's not because we are lovely that God loves us. Quite the opposite, in fact. The, the right reward for rebellion against God is his wrath. And that's all we deserve. It's his wrath. So praise God that he is not fair, right? Oh, if God was fair, we would be dead. We would be gone, but he's not fair at all. Instead, he shows mercy. He shows mercy. It's because of his mercy that he loves us. It's because of his character. It's because of who he is. He is great in mercy. This verse says, Mercy is when you don't give someone the punishment they deserve. Maybe a better word for us, I think mercy kind of sounds noble in some ways. A better word maybe is pity. He pities us. He sees us in our state and he pities us. He doesn't have to, but he does. He's great in mercy. And so he pities us. He lets the perpetrator off without making him pay the fine. He works it out so the guilty can go free. He justifies the ungodly. This is our God. He's great in mercy. And this is why he acts as he does. So it's time to worship first church because he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Right? And if, if you can believe it, that's not all. That's not the end of the sermon. Like there's more, there's two more verses uh, in, this, in this passage. So number two, what God keeps. What God keeps, verse four, we've been born into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance, you know, is something, uh, you know, usually money, assets, property uh, that, that are, is, is put away, put aside for you, saved for you. Usually you get it when someone related to you dies. They, they pass it on to you. Um, so do you know, Christian, that you have an inheritance from God? That's what it says. You get it simply by being in his family. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. Imagine if you had a billion dollar inheritance coming to you from your parents. That would, that would change your perspective on life a little, I imagine. Wouldn't it? In reality, Christian, you have an inheritance that makes that look like chump change. 
And don't over-spiritualize it. You're rich. Like you are filthy, you are well taken care of forever. Do you know that? It's amazing. This promise is amazing. You might ask, okay, well, what is, what actually is this inheritance though? Because Peter doesn't really say like what it actually is. Um, He just kind of describes it. Uh, But I think some Old Testament context can help us here, right? Inheritance was a very common Old Testament, uh, Old Testament uh, idea. Uh, This is uh, Ed Clowney, a Bible commentator. He says, God gave the land to Israel as an inheritance. And in the land, he gave every tribe and family an inheritance with the lasting right of ownership. So Israel's inheritance in the land uh, was a, was a place, a, a, you know, a, like an actual place to live. It was prosperity. You could work it. It was peace. It was a home. Um, Israel, Clowney continues, Israel received the earthly foreshadowing. We received the heavenly fulfillment of this inheritance. So to begin to get our mind around what this inheritance is, we might think of what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. My father's house, there's many, many rooms. You might think of, of uh, Paul saying, why are you guys fighting? Everything is yours. Everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. You might think of John seeing the heavenly Jerusalem descend from heaven at the end of Revelation. God will be with them. He will be their God and they will be his people and they will reign with him forever and ever. This is our inheritance. Peter uses three words to describe our inheritance. First, he says our inheritance is imperishable. Imperishable. Um, The bananas on your counter are perishable. Right, apples, perishable, but less so. Pears, you got like a, like a six hour window for pears. They're hard and then they're rotten. Um, they're perishable, right? The, the brand new car you buy off the lot is perishable, right? It, give it 30 years, it'll be in a scrapyard. Uh, in Peter's thinking, later in chapter one, we'll see even silver and gold are perishable. So what would be the standard for, for something that holds value? is perishable uh, in, in Peter's mind. Everything of earth is perishable. Like the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, um, no matter how much you have, no matter how much you have, you can't take it with you and who knows who's gonna get it when you're gone. All the things of this world are perishable. They're fleeting, they're passing away. But our inheritance from God, it's not like anything that we know of. It's not like anything on this earth. It's imperishable. It doesn't decrease in value. It doesn't decay over time. It lasts forever. Number two, our inheritance is undefiled, Peter says. It's undefiled. We don't know anything that isn't defiled by sin. Right? Our, our motives and, and the motives of others are always suspect. Right? The clothes we're wearing are probably made by exploited workers overseas. Right? Uh, we've been reminded over the past months in a very stark way of our sinful, shameful history of slavery and oppression in this country. We are defiled and we live in a defiled world. We don't know anything different than that. But our inheritance is not like anything we ever know here. It's undefiled. It's pure. It's not compromised by sin. Our inheritance is 
unfading. Thirdly, it's unfading. Um, when we get the newest iPhone, oh, it glitters. You know, you open the box. Uh, it's sharp, it's fast, it's satisfying. But have you noticed how quickly it fades? Oh, how quickly it fades. And then the next one comes out and the current one just loses its luster. And you know, the experience, you know, the experience of hearing a new song that you just think is awesome. And you're like, man, this song just rocks. Uh, and, and it's amazing. But what happens after a few weeks, a few months? It's old news. Right? It's overplayed. It's skippable. I don't want to listen to that anymore. Our inheritance from God, though, doesn't fade. It's unfading. It's not like that. It's evergreen. It won't stop glittering and being as awesome and amazing as it was at first imperishable, undefiled, unfading. All these are to say, our inheritance is eternal. It lasts forever. It doesn't diminish. It can't be spoiled, be spoiled, defamed, or tarnished. But look at the last little phrase it says, kept in heaven, kept in heaven for you. You might ask if this wonderful inheritance is safe. It's like, man, everyone would want to get their hands on an inheritance like that. Um, but the verb tense of this, it's kept. The verb tense gets across. This is something that God has done in the past uh, that has, uh, continues, to, continues to have effects in the present, right? Something God has kept for you. He's put it away, right? It's there. He's keeping it for you. Uh, and, and notice that, that uh, Peter switches from saying us to saying you, right? He's, he's saying he's given us new birth into a living hope. But then he goes, in verse four, he says, uh, into this inheritance kept in heaven for you for you. He wants them to, to feel the personal nature of that, that God has your inheritance in heaven ready for you. Clowney says about the Israelites, while the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, they were sustained by the promise of their inheritance. Like Israel in the wilderness, the New Testament people of God are like our aliens and pilgrims. They make their way through a world that is becoming more hostile, yet they are not wandering beggars cast off from their possessions. They hold a sure title to the inheritance that God has given them. Brother, sister, it's time to worship because you have this inheritance kept in heaven and waiting for you. Number three, why is it time to worship? Number three, we're gonna see what God guards, what God guards. This is the, the, perhaps the most glorious reason to worship. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We might think, man, this inheritance sounds fantastic, right? But, but how do I make sure I'm born again? How do I make sure I get the inheritance? And the easy answer to that is to trust Christ, right? To trust Jesus. If you're not a part of God's family, if you don't know Jesus, he invites you today, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is call out to him. All you have to do is acknowledge all the things I've hoped in are, are vain hopes, they're dead hopes, and I need a living hope. And so Jesus, I trust that you lived for me and tied for me and rose from the dead. You're the king of the universe and I give myself completely to you. And you can come into this family and you can have this inheritance. It's actually already waiting for you. Um, but, but this, this here in this verse here, 
um, Peter is, is writing to and describing Christians. He's writing to the church. And so the question might be, when you, when you read this, man, life is hard. Life is hard. And I've seen people who I thought were Christians uh, leave the faith. So how do I know that I'm gonna make it? How do I know I'm gonna endure to the end? And the answer is here. The answer is here. It says you are being guarded by God's power. And if we hear this, <laughs> we will worship. If we hear this, we will worship. You are being guarded by God's power. There is no surer confidence in the world because there is no greater power in the universe than the power of God. What will your confidence be when Satan shoots his fiery darts, when temptation rages, when you fall into sin? Where will you place your confidence? Right When all around my soul gives way, what? He then is all my hope and stay. I am being guarded by God's power. That is my confidence. That is your confidence. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my father, who is greater than all, who's given my sheep to me, he's, he's greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. We are safer, brothers and sisters, than we ever truly dare to believe because we are being guarded by the power of God. But look at this next phrase. You're being guarded by God's power through faith. Through faith. So how does God guard us? How does it work? He guards us through faith. Through faith. So we see here, right? This is, oh, I, I, I get it. This is, uh, we aren't robots, Wait, we're not passive agents here. It's not that we don't have responsibility. We are always responsible to trust. The power of God flows through our faith. God gives us faith, sustains our faith, works through our faith. Peter knows this by experience. He knows this by experience. Jesus um, knew that j just before his arrest, Jesus knew that Peter was gonna have the biggest spiritual trial of his life. Right, he says in, in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Which is a scary thing to hear. Right, and, and, and imagine your name there. Watch out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. What did Jesus say next? What did he say? Peter, I, I told Satan he couldn't attack you. Nope. Peter, just stay back. Let me fight this one. Nope. Peter, I can't, I can't really get involved in this. I'm gonna be busy being crucified, but I really hope you make it through. Nope. What did he say? Peter... Peter, watch out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus did not exempt Peter from the trial. Instead, he prayed that his faith would not fail. And brother or sister, Jesus is praying the same thing for you. Romans 8, Hebrews 7 say, he always lives to intercede for us. And he is praying for you. He lives and prays for his people. And look at what, it, look at what Jesus said next to Peter. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. It was, there wasn't a question in Jesus' mind. If you turn, it wasn't if you turn back, it was when you turn back. And that's because Jesus gets what he prays for. Jesus intercedes for you, dear brother, dear sister, and the Father will hear his prayers and will answer from on high. And while you will not be exempted from the trial, you can be certain that your faith will not fail. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We'll talk more about this next week, but so many Christians struggle when they go through suffering. We all do. And they think God has betrayed them or tricked them by allowing something bad to happen to them or to someone they love. But to do that is to misplace our hope. This is the lie of the prosperity preachers, right? God's blessing means wealth and ease and health and material comfort, protection from trials here and now. But it's a lie, it's a lie. It's a lie of timing, right? It just doesn't happen here and now. Th that's not the deal. That was never the deal. He hasn't promised us this. The Christian's ultimate hope isn't here and now. It's in the future, right? This inheritance, it says, is kept in heaven for you. This salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. So it's time to worship Christian because God guards us for our salvation. So if I can sum it up for us, um, it's time to worship because God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, God has kept an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading in heaven for you. And number three, God is guarding you by his power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You can see, yes, we should certainly worship, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's true, if that's true, it's always time to worship. It's always time to worship. That those currently around the throne of God in heaven understand this more clearly than we do, right? Revelation 4, 8 it says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. Day and night, they never stop praising God. They know, they see. And if we aren't overflowing with worship, it's not because God isn't worthy. <laughs> it's not because he's become less good. It's because we've lost sight of reality. So let me ask you as we close, how is your worship? 
in September of 2020? How's your heart? I can imagine some objections here. Some objections to worship, right? I'm, I'm tired. Austin, you don't know what I've been through in the past months, and I don't. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. I'm, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted. And, and I understand that, it's been an exhausting year. It really has. And, and man, sleep is good, it's a gift from God. Rest is good, right? In fact, I think, I think Sabbath is a command that we ignore to our own peril, right, in our culture. But let me press you not to put your hope in being untired. It's a dead hope. Don't put your hope in being untired. Don't wait till you aren't tired to worship, to turn your heart to praising God. Tiredness doesn't, doesn't place sin in our hearts. It just reveals what's already there, which is so convicting to me. <laughs> just reveals what's there. And, and, and we, we know that it's the good shepherd, right? It's Jesus who makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. So why wouldn't we turn to him in our tiredness? Why wouldn't we praise him in our tiredness? If you're tired, if you're overwhelmed, if you're exhausted, it's time to worship. Another objection I can imagine is is this one that I, I'm angry, right? I'm, or I'm scared in this, this cultural moment. And I think these go together. I think they do. We, we're angry when things aren't going the way we think they should. Um, and we, we get scared when we see things going in a direction we think is harmful. These are both reactions to losing some sort of perceived loss of control. And you might say, man, Lawson, I just can't really, can't really worship until things kind of settle down a little. And I get that. I get it. It's tumultuous, right? It is uncertain right now. But can I just press in and ask you, who are you listening to? Our world is filled with voices, right? Talk radio, podcasts, YouTube channels, news media, right? Who's, whose voice is filling your mind? Because it, if this is you, somehow this world and its troubles have clouded your vision to the point that you've lost true perspective. You've lost true perspective. You're hoping for the resolution of some social issue or the implementing of some policy or the election of some regime or the restoration of some sort of order rather than hoping in the Lord. And, and listen, I don't think we should ignore politics or, or what's going on in our world. We can't, right? We're called to love our neighbor, right? That's what it means. We have to pay attention. We have to be involved as we can. But if anger and fear are drowning out your love for the Lord, your ability to worship, your ability to pray, then something's off, right? Let me put it this way. In 30 billion years, Right, when we're living our lives on the new earth together, when you're, when you're sitting on my back porch, we're drinking coffee together and we're enjoying our imperishable, undefiled and unfading inheritance. How much do you think we will care about the presidential election of 2020?
in our trials, in the uncertainty, in the very midst of the very life we are living, right, all mixed with joy and pain. It's time to worship. It's time to worship. So let's pray together and then, and then we'll, we will worship. We'll praise God together. Lord, thank you so much for these promises. Lord, in a world, in a world where, where authority is constantly questioned, where we don't know who to trust, thank you that we can bet it all on Jesus. Thank you that, that Jesus, you will not fail us. You have never failed us and you will never fail us. Thank you that those who trust in you will never be put to shame. And so Jesus, I, I pray now that our faith would not fail. You would give us the strength that we need to live in this time and, and to worship and to praise you and, to, and to, to praise you with our whole hearts to not hold anything back because you deserve all of it. You are so wonderful. You are so good and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.